Welcome to the Empowered Tech Podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host. And today on the show, we've got Lucinda Miles from Volunteers for Youth Justice down in Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, Lucinda is working on um, some unbelievable projects related to getting TBRI into prisons, TBRI into the juvenile justice system. Um, and their organization, Volunteers for Youth Justice, has made massive strides in Shreveport. We're going to tell you all about it later on. Full disclosure, as you can hear now, I've got a little bit of a sinus infection, and so my voice might sound a little bit different, um, a little bit under the weather. That's because I am. Feel great, sound terrible. But uh, we are going to talk with Lucinda now, and uh, you're just going to love her. It's a great, great interview. Here she is now, the electric Lucinda Miles. Well, all right, we're here with Lucinda Miles, and Lucinda works for Volunteers for Youth Justice in Louisiana. And um, Lucinda, we, we're going to talk about a lot of the work that you do, but for anybody that doesn't know who you are, um, why don't you just give us a brief background of kind of who you are and what brought you into this line of work? Uh, thank you, JD. I'm so excited to be here today and having an opportunity for this conversation. I began with Volunteers for Youth Justice roughly a decade ago. And I came on as more of a, a kind of a gap filler, to be real. I was working on becoming a life coach or I was a life coach and thought, well, I'll do something part time. And oh, my goodness, did that ever change the trajectory of my life? Uh, I came on board with, uh, again, Volunteers for Youth Justice has been around since the early 1980s. And we are uh, growing exponentially. I came on board. We had about 24 on staff and now we have close to 60. So wow. with many of, we meet the need and that's yeah. where our population of, of staff members have grown uh, because the need is so huge. And so when I began, I actually was a CASA court appointed special advocate trainer, recruiter. I did change a lot of hats over the years. Yeah. And Kelly Todd, our amazing executive director, says that, wow, Lucinda, you probably worn more hats than most of us in our organization because I just have so much fun to tell you just treat with everything I do uh, with VYJ. I love it. I love serving the families. I love serving the children. So I, until about 2018, really, or shortly before that, if I could lay a little framework, uh, Volunteers for Youth Justice is closely um connected with the Caddo Juvenile Court, where we have, of course, we have CASAs, we have FINS, Families in Need of Services. This is also under the umbrella of Volunteers for Youth Justice. And we work among the court with the judges, but the judge we were most closely, uh, I think, carried the torch for everything BYJ does is Judge David Matlock, our chief judge, uh, who's about to retire, actually, in just a few weeks. And But an amazing torchbearer for everything about child welfare and TBRI. He's the greatest TBRI cheerleader, I think, on the planet. But to go back momentarily, in a 2016-17-ish, Judge Matlock began to dive into trauma and how he was seeing families come back into court. And just, you know, I would hear him look out of the court and he goes, I believe you were in my court previously, and it might have been a grandmother who was there with her child years ago, and he was seeing that generational trauma 
and the impact it was having uh, on our community. And frankly, uh, just globally, it's having such a huge effect of that we are not just seeing the child in the courtroom. We are seeing the generations that came before that child and that something needed to happen to throw a wrench in this cycle. So Judge Matlock began to have these bench conferences with CASA's attorneys, um, others that were directly associated with the system. But most importantly, he had those conversations with the parents themselves. And he would ask them just a question that some of them had never been asked before. Tell me, were you ever abused? Mm. And Many of them, I think he would probably say 99.9% of them, that was the case. And he he had parents that just said, nobody's ever asked me that. Even though I'm in counseling, I might have just checked boxes where it said, were you ever abused? And maybe out of shame or whatever would come in. So that was laying a lot of the foundation for in 2018, April of 2018, the, the first group of folks, I was fortunate and blessed to be one of those, went to the TBRI practitioner training in New Orleans. It was the first time the KPICD ever held it off campus, actually. It was sort of a pivotal moment in their history also. And I went along with about five others, no, maybe six others in our community, all of which none were associated with Volunteers for Youth Justice. So, The day after I got back from practitioner training, Judge Matlock is sitting in the office at Volunteers for Youth Justice, and I'm sitting there just fresh from that moment of having an amazing week, just excited as I could be. And I could sense that Judge Matlock wanted every person, every human being that came through his courtroom. And he heard by or he hears basically all the child in need of care cases in Caddo Parish. And that's a big number. And he wanted every parent, everybody to know about TBRI. And it it seemed daunting because for those who have been through the practitioner training, that is it's a lot of information. And if you want to get the message out in an effectual way, you need others to have as I like to to say, have drunk a lot of Kool-Aid on TBRI. They need to know about it. And at the time, I still look back and and we had to smile over the fact it was just like, okay, here's a connected child book and here's a TBRI pocket card and go in peace. You know, do do what you can. And so at that point, and this was about late Late April, I became a practitioner in April of 18, and this was about mid-May when I realized that Judge needed this message to go out, and the whole world needs it to go out. So Judge Matlock and Kelly Todd, our ED, we, um, we realized that if we could have a group of folks, much like CASAS, They've been vetted, they've been trained, and they would be TBRI advocates. We could get them commissioned in front of the judge. They could be assigned a case, much like CASA, but our TBRI advocates work with a caregiver who is um, 
is taking care of the child. It could be the bio parent, but it could be a foster parent, a fictive kin. And they take our, uh, it's called the Roadmap to Family Empowerment. It's a 10 week, suppose around a 10 week session curriculum that they are helping that caregiver learn these strategies, learn how trauma has impacted the brain. And so when your baby child that you have is having that meltdown, this is what we do. So that was a big program to launch when, as Kelly would say, you know, she would say, Lucinda, we we don't have dollars for this, but we're going to make it work. And we did. And so we have that program. We and and things, J.D., just began to grow out of an immense need. We realized in it'll be October three years ago that we started uh, the TBRI caregiver training for biological uh, family members, or it could be a grandmother, uh, you know, someone that's caring, but not DCFS, yeah. not foster parents. And every Tuesday, Thursday, from 5 to 6.30 by Zoom, we go through the entire 24 hours of caregiver training. Man. And wow, I... I can promise one thing. I've learned TBRI, uh, at least that caregiver package inside and out, because I I just I see that if we are able to empower the families and most especially reunification is a goal, but just period to empower those families with these life changing strategies, we are doing a step into throwing that wrench into the generational trauma. That's awesome. Okay. I have a thousand questions. Um, first I'd say, give us kind of a, so BYJ has been around for a long time, right? Um, Correct. Almost 40 something years, 45 years, maybe um, somewhere in that, in that neighborhood. So <laughs> been around for a long time and kind of what prior to 2016, prior to Judge Matlock getting involved and, and a lot of this accelerating, what, what was the work of UIJ and, and how was it operating on a, you know, in, in the community? We began with a group of ladies that are individuals. I think it was mostly ladies that went to a conference out of state. This was in 1983-ish, 4-ish, and went to this conference and realized that our city, Shreveport, needed to fill a lot of gaps. We had a lot of families in need. So they came back to Shreveport and started, it was called juvenile justice at the time. And we are are still our core admin, Kelly Todd executive offices are in the First Presbyterian Church there in Shreveport. And uh, I'll be happy to share if also about the harbor and some places where it's grown. But but yes. when we started, we were our mission was to be a a, a community, an organization that met uh, families and children in crisis. OK, and programs emerged. We didn't start with the programs that we, of course, have today, but yeah. we out in the community, we offer uh, we offer youth mentoring. We go into, we're in schools. We have tribal court where youth are able to be their own court and they are able to be the, the judge, the, the, um, 
the bailiffs, all the people that participate in court, and they get to be those that judge their friends, so to speak, that have just some minor infractions, maybe been disrespectful in the classroom and et cetera. So right. we do a lot of work proactively to help kiddos. Then we have conflict resolution, where when a child has, uh, we receive calls uh, and they might be They've had an infraction at school. They come and do a class uh, in the morning. And if they've been suspended from school, then they are able to uh, bring a parent in, let them see how all of this happened in the school. And then they are able to receive a certificate and go back to school because we know if a kid's kept out of school, what's happening scholastically. Um, We also now have a program, our task program, which is a truancy program for K through fifth grade. We know we have got to address the issues of truancy very early on in order to help that child have that routine of going, you know, going to school. We also offer other intervention, power of choice, stop out, excuse me, stop out shoplifting, things that help do, uh, I think, life value moments for kiddos. And we are, we are, we reach and make way to meet those needs. And people are always calling and I think calling Kelly Todd and saying, we need you to take this on. Could VYJ do this? And could VYJ do that? Yeah. So all, all of these kind of rooted in helping to maybe eliminate like crime cycles in Shreveport, right? Kind of those are, that's, that's sort of the, the target of the, of the work. I would say, yes, absolutely. That is one of the, the 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 work that we do. But we also are recognizing that so many of our families are living at poverty level or below, and their challenges are just enormous. And we, through kind of leading that a segue into the harbor, which is getting ready to have its grand opening next month, which okay. it's a 55,000 square foot facility that we, Kelly envisioned this in 2016. And it was, we called it for years, a one-stop shop until it actually turned into a reality. And it's been named the Harbor. Families can walk in off the streets. They can be assigned from the court. We're not going to turn any family away where they can come into this building and they can have services all in one spot. We're near the bus stop, so they don't have to worry about transportation. We're going to do assessments. We're going to be able to track it. We're going to have an amazing calming studio in there, which we are replicating in many different places. So uh, VYJ, I I just can't say enough about the amazing organization, how fortunate I am to be a, a part of this journey over at least the last 10 years to watch us show up. We show up. And when there's a need, we are going to do our best to meet the need. And I would in again, 2000 and 2018 practitioner training. Then we had uh, bio parent training that our advocate program, the training that evolved. I'm just I think I'm doing a Jack and the Beanstalk now because out came the advocate program. Then out came the bio parent training. Uh, we, yeah. in January of this year, I went to Fort Collins, Colorado, and they actually, uh, I 
went there to train the advocate program, and they are also implementing the bio parent training. So we are replicating ourselves in those yeah. important areas. And then in April of last year, we began training the inmates at Caddo Correctional Center. So I'm going to catch a breath there and, yeah, and leave yeah. pause there and I uh, love sharing that. Yes. yes. Okay. So I want to talk more about that. I want to talk more about the Harbor in a second. Um, give people a background of, of you. I mean, you shared before we started recording today, you used to be a radio DJ at one point. So what, how did you even get, like, are you from Shreveport? How did you get into this work initially? Like what was your background, Lucinda? I have uh, really, J.D., it's pretty fun. It would be like kind of like, what's my line? And I could go on there and and say something. Everybody go, Mm-mm, that probably wasn't you, but it probably was. Uh, so I actually I am from South Arkansas. I'm a, I'm a native, I guess, of Arkansas and lived in many different places in that state. And about um, 2008, I moved to Shreveport uh, by way of quite an incredible life adventure. I'll be happy to to lead that into that because, you know, life takes us on a lot of journeys. And I just encourage folks to have fun with every journey because you never know when that journey is going to put you right in the mainstream of where you're supposed to be for the rest of your life. And um, I never thought I would probably be living in Shreveport. I had a fun business. I lived in an RV for almost eight years. I had a mobile rock climbing wall and a shaved ice unit and traveled, uh, lived the winters in Miami and traveled up north in the summer and had fun with kids and adults. And that was a little bit about what got me to Shreveport. So as I say, I can't, I can't, Change that into another reason, like I came here because I knew there was a wealth of, you know, like trauma and I needed to go into that. Sure. Absolutely not. It was another journey of my life that put me smack dab in the middle of Shreveport, Louisiana, and began the journey of where I am today. And I, it's it's fun to go out back and tell those stories because many of the other stories and adventures in my life have been very um important to how I'm, I guess I show up in the world today and helping kids up a rock climbing wall. I saw victory. I saw kids that look back and they'd say, oh, you're back again this year. Let me see if I can get a little further. So I kind of got to be a TBRI person then, even though I didn't know anything about it. And when I, again, when I went on board with VYJ, it very quickly um, it really quickly defined itself as a place I was very passionate about, passionate about our children, passionate about families that are struggling. Children are struggling because their parents are struggling. And I want to be a game changer for empowering families and realizing I love training TBRI to every population I can get before. But however, when I started training the bio parents, this light bulb went off and I thought this, this is grassroots. If we can, we can help change the lives of those biological family members or fictive care. If we can do that, I, I don't ever want to stop that moment. That's why I'm saying we train that every week, every Tuesday, Thursday. And when 
every opportunity has presented it itself. And I've had an, had that chance to share about our community and about TBRI. Uh, yesterday, I was in, uh, I went to the FINS conference. I was a pre presenter at our Families in Need of Services conference. And that was uh, basically sharing about TBRI in the courts and what does that look like. And when they say, oh, you'll have about an hour and 15 minutes, I think, wow, that's a long time. And then I get up there and I start talking about it. And I think, could I have two hours and 15 minutes? Because right, right, right. there's just so much to share. Yeah. So you, you know, you jump into um, VYJ and you're beginning to work there and you're beginning to see that effect of like, oh, this is the real special sauce here is like getting to families and getting the information in caregivers' hands because then, you know, hopefully it, it begins to lessen the cycles with their kids, which will then lessen the cycles with their kids generationally on and on. So, mm -hmm. you know, we were, you and I were talking, um, we were all, all of our uh, API City ambassador organizations were at TCU um, recently and we were all talking and and you just casually mentioned doing TBRI training for incarcerated parents. And I I was like, hold on now, wait a minute, stop. Like, tell, I didn't know more about this. So why don't you begin kind of just sharing about that and how that opportunity came up and, and how that has gone so far? I, and this is where if I, I think if we had three hours in a podcast, I, yeah. I could, I could so roll this because my heart is just there. And we, in April, again, we, we actually started and wanted to start it prior to COVID. Judge Matlock and some other individuals from the court and Kelly Todd and I went to our Caddo Correctional Center, our, our jail, and it, it's a large jail. I, I do want to add that, a lot of inmates. And to speak about how maybe we could bring this training. We didn't know how, and we were going to start only with the women. And yeah. this was pre-COVID. And we went, We at first we had a lot of logistics, you know, what room are we going to do it in? Because it could not be done by Zoom. It had to be in person. Yeah. And we toured this room. I can still see us doing it. This is like I say, this is several years ago. And it was a very small room. Judge Matlock and the whole crew said, let's start with about seven ladies. And I said, sure, wh wherever we can start, this will be good. Because I had mentioned to Judge Matlock uh, at the time, and I was pretty much the sole trainer. And But I said, Judge, and he was all on board. Again, Judge Matlock said, wow, what a place to bring this message. So then COVID stopped that ball from rolling. And then on the other side of COVID, we had a few false starts when we thought we were on our way. But here's the good news about it. And what I'm so grateful for, we started with about 30 women. They upped it and we were only going to get to do seven. So we have these 30 women and that started last April. And the stories from these women just it just lights me up to have a, one of the ladies come and say, I want you to know that this might sound silly, but I share TBRI with my cellmate all the time. And I told her the other day that if I had to come to jail to hear about TBRI, I would have come for that. Yeah. That rocked my world. Yeah. It rocked it. And yeah. she said, because the... I would not have been exposed to TBRI out in the world where I would typically be. And to hear these stories and it 
turned into it has turned into a success story with the women and in november the uh those at the jail came and asked me if we would consider training the men and i of course yes i said absolutely 100 percent. but if i might add i was a little for those of you who are familiar with the, uh, that are listening to the podcast that are familiar with the TBR caregiver training, of course, it's got the videos with the children and and very much focused on the the camps and how that was looking. And I thought, I wonder how the men are going to respond to this. So I thought, but we're going to yeah. see. We'll see yeah. how it rolls. Oh, I'm just telling you, JD. We had over in the first, in the very first rollout, which we're still in that first rollout, but the very first session, we had over a hundred men in there. And we got a, we have a picture. uh, If I have your son, I think I do, I can text it to you. Uh, They took a picture in the back with all of the men that were in the class and they were holding up their hand because we were teaching them the hand model of the brain. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so cool. And the stories that have come about from that it, this experience every Wednesday is a mountaintop experience. I go every Wednesday uh, for an hour and a half for the men and Fridays for the women and the men and the women too, but the men, they are, it's almost like they're just starving for this. Like they, to hear the attachment cycle, to weigh in, we're on the correcting piece now. And boy, we're diving deep into that because they Majority didn't come from the culture where we don't, you know, was not punitive. This is what we do. And so the stories I had a gentleman recently, one of the inmates, he said, I just want you to know that I believe if my family would have known about TBRI, I wouldn't be in jail today. Wow. Gold. (laughs) Just gold. (laughs) So, you know, this is being taught now. And one of the things you shared with me in Fort Worth is that there's, there's even been the beginnings of a class for, um, for inmates who, are, who have life sentences, who are most likely not going to get out. Is that, is that right? Well, here's, here's where I think it's rolling now, since you and I got that wonderful chance to visit in Fort Worth. We are looking at a few select inmates to become TBRI practitioners, okay, Man. which is just life-changing. And I'll, I'll elaborate on that in just a second, but I did want to say that yesterday when I was there with the men, I, there's one gentleman that he's so into all of this and he yeah. came up and, and I was telling him again about the opportunity practitioner training. If you could have seen his face it just, he lit up and he said, do you mean I might can be one of these people? Yeah. And I said, yes, yes, you can be one of these people. So what we are looking at and through collaboration with Amanda and Darren, uh, they are coming to Shreveport uh, in mid-May. And yeah. this group of men that are, and women too, but they're only going to be here on that. They'll be here on that Wednesday. They're going to have, they're going to have completed the 24 hours of caregiver training. And so they wanted certificates and we're going to have a graduation ceremony. And Darren hopefully is going to pass out those certificates. And 
we're also, I was told yesterday by one of the uh, the law enforcement uh, individuals there, Laura said, I get questions. She said, we have so many men that keep asking when you're going to start this class over again and wanted to know the date. She said, they're so excited. They're asking me all the time. When does it start again? So I just, these are moments I treasure. This is where the seeds of planting TBRI showing up, being responsive to those that are underserved, you see such abundant fruit. And I, I am so excited about it. The idea that, um, and this is where the harbor hopefully will play in as well. If we are able to work it out for them to have training, a select few to have practitioner training inside the jail, I'm not sure how that's going to look right now, but when they get out to actually, they would be able to come to a uh, a practitioner training, yeah. then my hope is that through Amanda and Darren will develop that like phase two, where they are able to come to like the harbor and we will have where they can bring in individuals that we have no way of reaching. Yeah. And I would have, I can continue to train it, but yet I'll have a co-trainer that has lived experience and right. can tell the stories. Um, like Amanda and I talked, i I want I want TBR on every correctional facility because I know yeah. it's working. It's yeah. making a difference. And I just I want a TBRI van. I keep mentioning this. It says, you know, TBRI. I just want to roll around the country and teach TBRI in the facilities. I do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when uh when the harbor opens, talk a little more about what what will be happening inside of it because I think this is you know, when we talk about um, creating systemic, cha- well, when we talk about generational trauma and systemic trauma and all these different cycles, it can get really overwhelming and you can begin to feel helpless that, you know, one person can't just interrupt all of these different things. And the change happens so slow, like, man, are we going to work our entire lives and only see one little thing change? But when we begin to think about these community centers and and resources that can establish new normals in communities, then you can start to have the, you know effects on every level on kids, adults, grandparents can all be affected by this. So talk more about what the Harbor is going to be, the services that will be offered there, all of that. I, thank you. I, I love the Harbor. The, the vision of it is, as I said, it started as that thought of let's have a one-stop shop, understanding that you know, the intergenerational trauma cycle and how it's all working, that we've got to find a need or a way rather to meet our families at every point that we possibly can. And so when we have a family that would walk in off the streets and first they're going to be embraced with respect and they're see this beautiful, fresh new building that, that, uh, and I'll need to, I'd like to go back and also talk a little bit more about the beginnings of the harbor. And maybe I'll pause that about what a family sees when they come in to add that the Cattle Parish School Board is actually uh, gave this building to VYJ. They came in and gutted 55,000 square feet. We're still working on the second level to make this happen. And there were two, there was one, well, two huge grants, but in conjunction with the Caddo Parish School Board, there was an enormous grant that we were fortunate to have that allowed us to hire more people to do what we needed to do to meet yeah. those needs. Yeah. So 
when you first walk into the harbor, now to paint that picture, uh, literally, there is a beautiful like uh, two story mural that's on either side that that tells the story of the VYJ mission, you know, children reaching for the stars and just beautiful depiction that we uh, Kelly hired a gentleman that painted a lot of our buildings downtown Shreveport yeah. to come in there and create this artwork. So imagining for a moment a family walking in that is struggling, they may be hopeless, and now they come in to this beautiful artwork and they have someone warmly welcoming them at the door yeah, and directing them for assessments where we'll be able to um, identify if they need counseling or they may be coming to us, they need Food. They don't even know how to apply for food stamps. They will have a social worker on staff. We'll have all these pieces in place. Right across the street is our um, social uh, social security office, where they can go and they can take care of all of those needs. So yeah. that's almost within walking distance. We're uh, not even a block away from a Walmart super, you know, one of the super centers. And so, again, I just I don't know. I want to at times just put myself in that mental space, if I can, with a family that could have been struggling for years. I mean, decades. And now they come into this place and they are going to know that they don't have to get back on a bus or pay a taxi to get them to counseling services. Or we're actually going to have a a physical therapist. We're going to have speech therapy. All of that is going to be there. And then a very large room is going to be a calming studio where we're going to have this sensory rich room with bubble towers and interactive floor panels. And kind of like a family comes into a hope filled Disney world, so to speak, where uh, it, it, we're going to we don't want you leaving with with that same spirit that you came in with. We want you to know we are here and we are here to empower and to help you. Mm. I love that. I, I, you know, it sounds a lot like um, I shared with you when we were uh, at TCU, um, the Memphis Family Connection Center, where ETC is based, um, where we have our offices here. Um, same thing. It's, you know, counseling, occupational therapy, speech therapy, um, services for families whose kids have experienced early trauma in life and uh, counseling for adults, kids, everybody. So um, it, the the hope that it gave our family, even just as, as one who was able to receive, we were able to receive services from them, like understanding what a difference it made for our family. And in a lot of ways, our family stands in, you know, opposition to others that experience cyclical generational trauma. We've, we've had a lot of things stacked up in our favor. We were still struggling a ton as parents when we were seeing some challenges with, um, with some of our kids. And so I can't imagine then the feeling you would have of having that struggle on top of the other things stacked on top of that. And so um, to know that that's going to be there and accessible and your bus station and Walmart and all the offices um, and for you guys to be so interconnected within the systems and have Mm -hmm. knowledge of how to navigate those systems well makes a massive difference in this. Um, So have there been things that you guys have seen? I know I'm sure there's been lots of research being done, kind of keeping statistics as you go. Have you guys seen some things that, to show or signify like, well, we're we're moving the needle here. Like there's some things that are that are beginning to change in the in the city. And then I want to close by talking about more about Judge Madlock and, and all of his uh, time. 
you know, I, I wish I, I love that about thinking or I want to think that there's been a lot of like, I know people love to hear numbers and they like to yeah. hear, you know, that this is this has changed. We had less children come back into care. We had less this or that. But from my perspective, I can tell stories after story of families that have said, you know, oh, I remember when uh, I took your training or I remember when Volunteers for Youth Justice, their CASA program brought Christmas gifts to my kids. And, you know, all of these heartfelt stories that there's no way to put a number on it. There's really not a way to capture it other than in your heart and be able to, you know, share it. I also in the at the harbor, we have our whole CASA staff, which is pretty large. It's going to be it's housed there now. Our task staff house there. I'll be doing biological parent trainings. I'm going to continue to do it by Zoom, but I'm also going to do walk-in trainings for uh, with the TBRI caregiver for families that need it that wouldn't have come in through the court necessarily. So I think to maybe better answer that question, or I don't know if I can better answer it, but just being in the momentum over the last decade that to see that we've not stayed stagnant, we're not back in 19, uh, you know, or 2008, we are, we're meeting that need. And that need is to provide services where a child that needs counseling, they're not waiting three months to get counseling. They can come in because the backlog for many of the services are, it's just that it's backlogged. And a child that's come into care, for instance, with trauma, they don't need to wait three months to be able to process what's going on. And we're going to be an immediate way or in, in, in as much as possible to be immediate, to be able to help that healing process start as early as we possibly can. Yeah. I'm so excited for y'all in that. And um, I want to kind of wrap up today talking about Judge Matlock. And, um, you know, one of the things that uh, and I heard this story from Darren Jones at TCU years ago, but um, Judge Matlock used to have a nickname uh, in his, because he's been a judge for a very long time, right? And his nickname used to be Judge Padlock because he would lock so many kids up, right? Um, I've, I've read the story. I've heard the story before. Would you kind of tell the story? You touched on it earlier, but of kind of the reputation that he had and then the shift that's been made and maybe some of the things that have been happening now in kind of in the lead up to his retirement. And, and that retirement word, I hardly like to even say it nor hear it. It's, it's going to be an enormous wow. loss to yeah. uh, the judicial system, uh, quite frankly, everywhere. Uh, when I have heard him in court, uh, say, you know, I used to be called Judge Palak, you know, I, I, I would lock up an 11 year old for stealing candy in that kind of a moment. I think I, I didn't ever hear that. I wasn't sitting in court when that happened. Uh, when I first was with came on board as CASA, Judge Matlock was just making that a segue into hearing the child in need of care cases. Yeah. And but I think what so defines watching that trauma lens is in these last specific, just for me, the specific five years when I've been in his courtroom every day, nearly when it is open and he's holding court and got a docket, watching an individual that is humble and kind, respectful, 
and never ceasing to want to do what he feels like is the right thing. He calls on the CASAs, the attorneys, the TBRI advocates, everybody to help him with those decisions. And I have witnessed more times than I can count. There would maybe be a family or a parent, uh, an offending parent, allegations thereof. They would be sitting in that courtroom and Judge has read everything. He knows what what it brought all this into court. And he will ask them with the kindest, most respectful voice, is there anything else you would want me to know today? Wow. Hmm. And what is he doing with that? He's letting a, a parent have a voice. Yeah. And, you know, whether they're angry, which in all likelihood, yes, whatever might be going on, he holds space for them to be able to do that. And over the last number of years, when we're he has got such that trauma focused lens, we have water bottles, we have uh, power bars and J.D. will sometimes stop kind of in the middle and be in the middle of a court case. And I'd hear him say, well, excuse me, does anybody need water? Or do you need a power bar? And it, that's the kind of judge that yeah. if we, in my mind, if we could rec- replicate Judge Matlock across our country, across our yeah. world, we would be seeing our families through a trauma-focused lens, knowing that this intergenerational trauma, it is there, and it's there 99% of the time that's there. And he's in one of those seats that can often change course of that trauma in a family's life, right? Can either accelerate or, or slow it down. Um, all right. For people who are listening to this and they're kind of wondering like, okay, but what kind of cases? So give us a, a, a typical case that he might be hearing. Like what, what might be a case that is in front of him to decide on? He, he, again, he sees or hears all the child in need of care cases, the sink cases, and he yeah. once did the math, just to give you a, a rough idea of this. If there were 450,000 children, for instance, that come into foster care in a year, he sees one-tenth of 1% of those in his courtroom. So that gives you a number of the vast cases that he would hear. And um, he would hear cases where just maybe an example of a child who had witnessed seeing their baby brother drowned in a bathtub and they laid eyes on that and they saw that kind of trauma and the parents would be sitting in the courtroom and he would listen to that story and have to make well to me as a layperson having to make any of those hard decisions about you know you've got families in there that are wanting to take and Keep, I'm, I'm kind of really paraphrasing an actual case where there were two different sides of the family members and they were in, they were embattled and they all wanted this child be, to keep while the parents are working through a case plan. And uh, I, clearly they have to go through so many like uh, they have to do home checks on them, all sorts of things. But he would see cases of children that quite frankly had things I can't even, I don't even almost want to put over the air, things that are just too horrible to think about and have to make those decisions with the help of the attorneys and DCFS and CASAs and advocates and everybody 
weighing in on what is the best interest for this child because they're the as he I would hear him say they're the the star of the show and he we we have times when Sasha our emotional support puppy that goes and sits in the courtroom and to bring comfort for that child and and he allows in the middle of court sometimes he say Sasha and I'll un snap her leash and she'll go running and jump up on the bench because the reason I share that is because it's changing the energy in the courtroom yeah, where right. it's deep and it's hard and it's difficult work. Everybody, like he once said, how can you kind of get a lot of anxiousness if there's a puppy in the courtroom and just these things that he allows and he wants to see happen from water bottles to power bars to humble, kind, respectful to everyone in his courtroom and to have a puppy that's in there. We have calming studios. He is, he's, as you can probably hear it in my voice, he's up on that pedestal that uh, if every judge could aim towards that, I, I think we would, we'd see a difference in our world for sure. Yeah. What is really hopeful about that is that um, you know the more that the statistics coming out of his courtroom and are are there ties that can be drawn to lower rates of um, recidivism or, or or jumping back into that world again, maybe that is something that begins to catch on just as a best practice, not as some you know hippie judge who's got a different way of doing things, but as somebody who is studying the data and studying the science and saying, this is actually the best case scenario for communities is to look out for the long-term care of these families, of the caregivers and of this child as well. And so I want uh, my, my hope would be that we begin to see family courts around the country beginning to take on some of these same practices, knowing that the science is there to kind of back it up. And um, it's just really exciting stuff there. Um, listen, before we go, do you think, is there anything else that you want us to know today? Anything else that you want us to know about the work that's happening there or um, for people who are wanting to get involved, what, what would be a good first step? If somebody says like, I, I want to start getting involved in some of this stuff, where should they start out at? I appreciate that to be able to put a put a bow on it with that. I encourage you, whatever, do you want a calming studio? Do you want an advocate program? Do you, uh, do you want to go into the jail? What is it that you find that moment that's going to fuel your passion? Begin where you are. If it's a lava lamp and it's Judge Matlock laughed, you know, a sack of oranges and a bottle of water and lava lamp, start your calming studio. Don't wait until you get a a $65,000 grant to start it. It just bloom where you're planted, I, I think. And if you have opportunity and you're that practitioner and you have a heart to go in and train inmates, get with your jail, get with your judge, because Judge Matlock clearly was able to help move that needle as well. Yeah. And if you want an advocate program, reach out. I'll, I'll be glad to talk to you about what does that look like. And and I, I just want to see that transformational moment. And I know if we all gather together as that village that we know it takes and we start where we are, don't wait until you got all the, the things in place, because I can assure you from my perspective, all the things won't get into place. Go ahead and just begin and allow it to organically evolve according to what works in your um, for what you are hoping to do. So just start. Just start. Yeah, that's good. That's a good word. Lucinda, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. Thanks, J.D.
Well, just a huge thank you to Lucinda. And again, um, you can follow the links in our um, show notes to learn more about Volunteer to Justice and Lucinda's work down there. Um, just fascinating stuff. Really excited about that and hopeful that the work happening in Shreveport can um, begin to go all over the country. Um, how awesome would it be to have trauma-informed courtrooms um, all through the juvenile justice system across our country um, could change generations of um, families and communities in our country. So we'll be hopeful for that. Uh, huge thanks again to Lucinda for coming on. A big thanks to Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio, uh, and to Tad Jewett, the creator of the music behind the Empowered to Connect podcast. For everybody here at ETC, I'm J.D. Wilson, and we will see you next week on the Empowered to Connect podcast. <laughs>